Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. So many great movies, so many great conversations. But it's a lot of work. Producing this show week after week does require a lot behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. We had some great films in Season 8 that started their lives as books or plays, and you can find all of them on our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals. That's the site where listeners can find links to purchase all the source material behind the adapted films we covered from season one up through our current season. For part of season eight, we had a series celebrating the 50th anniversary of films from 1968. We talked about 2001 and 2010 for our Odyssey series, both adapted from Arthur C. Clarke's novels. Man, the second one was so much better than the first, right? Don't you even get me started. <sighs> Need I bring up Under the Cherry Moon again? Yes, also so much better. <laughs> wait, wait, no, that's not what I... <sighs> Planet of the Apes kicked off its series based on the novel by Pierre Boulet. We covered Danger Diabolic and The Detective, adapted from novels for our 1968 crime films. Wait, wasn't that The Detective the prequel to Die Hard? They were both written by Roderick Thorpe, and yes, it's the same character in the books. I can't believe they even asked Sinatra if he'd be in Die Hard. That would have been yeah. weird. <laughs> Uh, Once Upon a Time in America was part of our Leone Once Upon a Time trilogy, adapted from Harry Gray's novel. And we looked at 1968 Best Picture nominees The Lion in Winter, Rachel Rachel, Romeo and Juliet, and Oliver! We also had an Ingrid Bergman series with adaptations like Spellbound, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Murder on the Orient Express, and Gaslight. We haven't talked about Gaslight. Stop gaslighting me! <laughs> Dive deeper into these books and more adapted films at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports the podcast. Get the full list of adaptations that we've covered on all the Next Real family of podcasts and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals.
This is The Next Reel, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Andy Nelson. Hey, hey, hey. And we spoil movies. Tonight on the show, we're getting the family back together again in Ryan Coogler's Spinkle Creed. We got this. In the ring, you got rules. Outside, you got nothing. Life hits you with all these cheap shots. People like me, we live in the past. You got people that need you now. You got everything to lose. This guy's got nothing to lose. I ain't got a choice. That's the same thing your father said, and he died right here in my hands. Listen to me, this guy is dangerous. But you don't think I could beat him? Spinkle. Did you like that I made that up? It's is that cute. a made up word? I think I, I, I think I made that up. I think you did. I think it's kind of a spin off. People, people and a one sequel? day will be able to uh, comb uh, the annals of history and find the origin of the word <laughs> spinkle right here. You heard it here first. Away with words. <laughs> it's a portmanteau, Andy. Portmanteau. Like yeah. Spinkle. When, when when I use portmanteaus, it makes me want to drink uh, uh, wine. It feels like a wine word. <laughs> it does. It's a wine. It is a wine word. Chateau uh, let's talk- Chablis portmanteau. <laughs> Chateau portmanteau. <laughs> it, it would just be Chatmanteau. Wait. <laughs> that just that sounded suddenly- really bad. <laughs> Remember when we used to talk about you movies on this show? <laughs> the House of Shadmento. <laughs> uh, so Creed, oh Creed, gosh. Andy, yes. uh, that Ryan Coogler, that man makes a movie. Boy, does he! I'm <laughs> telling you. Yeah. Coming off of uh, Fruitvale into uh, into Creed. Man, what can't this guy do? How'd this uh, hit you? I, and I should say, I don't have an allegiance to the Creed films yet like I do to the Rocky films, That where even though I rate them critically, I still deeply love them and, and will always have them with me and love watching them in series. I don't have that with, with the Creed films yet. Uh, but I'm, I'm here to tell you, I enjoy my experience with this movie. Well, as, as I said early on in recording this series with you, this film was the only other film I had seen walking into our discussions about the franchise other than the first Rocky film. So I saw Rocky and I saw Creed. <laughs> kind of skipped everything else. <laughs> I, uh, I that delights me, actually, on some level, because I am like there's so much life that you miss in this central character, Rocky Balboa. Like, do, is there did you have any question now that you've had all the holes filled in? Like, was that ever an issue for you when you first watched Creed? No, I don't think Creed is done in a way where it really leaves holes. And I mean, it helps that I knew what I had missed. Like, I knew that I knew what happened in Rocky 2. I knew that yeah. that that Creed was uh, was killed during a fight in in Rocky 4. Like, mm-hmm. I knew these things. Um, I, but there were a lot of things I didn't know. Uh, you know, I didn't know Adrian had died. I didn't know uh, much about Polly outside of the first film. Um, you know, it, it sets little things up, uh, little nods to Duke with his son in the film, uh, things that I think give a lot more, uh, nice detail and meat to the film that you don't necessarily get if you're watching it, uh, not having seen all the rest of the films, but it really 
adds to the picture. I think it it helped quite a bit. And actually, I think that it made the viewing experience of this film a lot better for me. I mean, I already enjoyed it when I saw it the first time, but on rewatch, it like it hit me so much harder. Um, all of the <laughs> elements, it was uh, it worked on a, a much higher level for me. I'm I am. Very glad to hear that. I, I want to start from the outside in with the, this question, because last time we, you know, we spoke about Rocky Balboa and you had issues with uh, the portrayal of Adrian's character uh, in, in that film, I think, is putting it delicately. Um, yes, I was very upset Yeah, that uh, they killed her off. They killed her off. And we had this sequence where Rocky goes to the Rocky, uh, the discovery of this, the reveal of this is Rocky goes to the to the cemetery and he sits down with his chair in front of the single headstone that says Adrian. Did what did it feel like now <laughs> having the exact same scene? This time there are two headstones and one of them is now Polly and he sets up the chair and he sits down next to Polly and Adrian. Uh, did did you have any of the same sort of longing or loss, the sensation of sheer grief and screaming in your notes at, at Polly? <laughs> I think I had gotten that out. <laughs> Rocky Balboa. I honestly, um, I, it uh, Polly was a much uh, a character I struggled with a lot more in the franchise because you know he's he's a frustrating character, um, but. It, it did hit me um, it, that he was dead. I'm like, oh, man, that that kind of really hurts. And I love the way that Rocky sits and talks to the two of them. And I love the way that when he's showing uh, Donnie around his house and he takes him into Polly's room and kind of gives that to him to use. I just love how he talks about him. And he's not really a nice guy, but, you know, he was he was my, he best, was my friend. best friend, but he wasn't very friendly. Yeah. All of that. I just I, I really enjoyed the way that all of that ended up playing out. And so I wasn't bothered that Polly had died. I think they already, they already stabbed me in the heart once and, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't do it again. Um, but I think that it worked again. It was nice. I, I have this image of now, in, in the course of looking out for information about this film, uh, I read a passage from Sylvester Stallone where he said, you know, I, I deeply enjoy this character and I enjoy this character at this point in his life. And I'm happy to continue to explore what happens to Rocky Balboa in the context of now Creed's sort of heroic journey uh, as as a character in order to that. And I have this image now of every Creed movie Going forward, there has to be a scene where Rocky goes and gets his chair and sits in front of one uh, increasing number of headstones <laughs> at the cemetery. Who's next? It's the Rocky, somebody's dead from Rocky's past uh, moment. Uh, and like, who's who's going to be next in line? <laughs> it was, it's the first time I actually kind of smiled at that sequence and um, <laughs> in probably not the right way, not as intended. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. So Adrian and Polly are gone, but we have replacing uh, Adrian as the love interest in this movie. We have Tessa Thompson uh, joins the the universe as Bianca. Well, uh, not just her. I mean, you didn't even mention Michael B. Jordan. Well, I know I'm getting into that. We're working okay. in. We're oh, working from the oh, out, outside in. Okay. Can we? Would you please? I'm a, little, I'm a little confused by the way that you're painting this picture for me. But okay, yes, yeah, right. Outside in, Polly's dead, because I and think then we there's can, Tessa Thompson. Polly's dead, and now Tessa Thompson. <laughs> and these are the things. Because uh, would you just? All right, listen. I'm going you, with it. All right. These are the things that we've had trouble with in the past. 
right? We had trouble with how female characters were written in these movies. I feel like it's important to just open with the challenges and see, did they resolve them? And this was one we definitely had trouble with. Yeah, Adrian uh, had her moments throughout the franchise that some of them were really strong and she was a really interesting character. Uh, She falls into a coma. Uh, You know, there's there's odd things as well. And oftentimes she's just kind of written as, you know, the one who's just got a scene or a line to kind of deliver to Rocky. And Mm -hmm. uh, but there was always this great love there. And that's what I loved about her, even when she was written poorly. And that's why I think it made me so upset when she was written as a dead character when we came into Rocky Balboa, even though I totally turned around within Mm -hmm. that film. Mm -hmm. Tessa Thompson as Bianca, I found her so engaging right from the moment we meet her. And uh, she she made for a great uh, a great pairing with with our protagonist, and I really did enjoy her. And I think in this film, I mean, yes, it, it does turn into kind of the boxing film and everything. They've got their little their uh, rift in their relationship that that they kind of bring it all back. But um, and then once, of course, the boxing really kicks in, she does kind of just become the girl on the sidelines. But for the most part, I think it is a really strong relationship and a really interesting one. And I find the two of them um, just incredibly compelling. Plus, she's got this really interesting issue that she's also dealing with that I love that they gave her something, this progressive hearing loss. It's a really interesting character addition that they gave to her that gives her a lot more meat. Yeah. Oh, God, we have these wonderful complications. I love all of the complications they introduce that are related to Tessa Thompson's Bianca. The hearing loss is fantastic. It gives her some, you know, agency, some her own like this is this is the way she has to relate to the world because of this problem. When when Adonis shows up and starts making trouble at her place of work and she's able to come back and say, you know, what if I showed up and one of your fights and started acting like an ass like what would that be do you understand the trouble that you're relating for me it makes these characters much more real uh and and their relationship i think much more sort of tangible or relatable um and plus she's just so charming oh my goodness uh you know watching her i think now after seeing her as Valkyrie, uh, you know, as some, you know, some other characters that she's done even since this movie came out, I think it's just that much more entertaining to go back and watch this movie um, because she lends, I think, just so much more presence on screen. And I think Coogler did an incredible job balancing out three major characters struggles and not making it feel like any one story was getting short shrift. You know what I mean? Yeah. We have. We have her story with her hearing loss and the way she deals with her world and her music and her career. It feels like it's something that's important. We have Rocky and his issues with his health that didn't feel at all like it was taking away from the major main story of the movie. And we had obviously Adonis and his journey, um, you know, to uh, in in the ring. And none of those stories felt like they were either luring me away at the expense of another or, um, you know, uh, taking advantage of the other and not doing a, a fair justice to any one character. I thought that was just expertly done. It really is. Uh, they made uh, a lot of strides in the way relationships and characters were portrayed here. Yeah. Very strong. Yeah. And it made it feel like a family of choice movie. Like these are people who are coming together, not because they're they're blood relatives. Like nobody in this film is a blood relative from the very first relationship when we meet uh, Felice Rashad as uh, Marianne uh, Creed. Um, we, that that begins as a family of choice message, right? We're, we're going to come together and we're going to make it work because we don't have anybody else. 
and and that sets a tone for this movie that is unlike the the tone in the other movies and i i found it really powerful in a franchise that is largely about family i think yeah. that uh, right. is very that's what makes this one different different but it still thematically ends up um connecting so beautifully right. because of that yeah 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 all right so you wanted to talk about this uh, newcomer uh, michael b jordan this, yeah, who's this, no, this nobody this nobody this dark horse <laughs> I uh, am very impressed that that he <laughs> granted its timing, but that he was able to go from Fantastic Four <laughs> <laughs> to this in the same year. Uh, <laughs> kudos, <laughs> good on you, man! Amazing, <laughs> oh, so funny. No, I mean, it, really, I mean, Michael B. Jordan is just. Uh, a, I mean, he's been acting for quite a while, for quite a while now. Um, in in. Uh, as a younger man in The Wire and uh, All My Children, actually, which I think is pretty funny, um, yeah. uh, through lots of other TV and then into these films and starting his his uh, working relationship with Ryan Coogler in Fruitvale Station, which was a really powerful film. And then into and continuing that relationship with this and, and Black Panther, of course, and but then continuing this character into Creed 2. I mean, he's he's an amazing actor and he brings so much power to it. And it's you know he's he's an interesting guy and I forgot we talked about him before with Chronicle. I yes, totally spaced that. That's right. Yeah. I was yeah. going to bring that back. Uh, he, he, that even back in those days, like when you talk about the TV stuff he was on, Friday Night Lights, uh, coming after The Wire. I, I didn't pay a lot of attention to all my children, but he was on. He, you know, he did sixty episodes of that show. Uh, but this uh, Friday Night Lights was exceptional television, and Parenthood was exceptional television, and uh, then you know Chronicle after Red Tails. You know, uh, Chronicle is how we sort of remember him yeah right uh, uh, and on screen so yeah i mean he's been around a long time i what was the movie there was a movie and i it only because it escapes me he he took fantastic four at the expense of something else that really he should have done do you remember what that was in 2015 i don't I, i'm not sure <sighs> i know that story but um yeah it was it was straight out of compton he was offered Dr. Dre in Straight Outta Compton and uh, chose Fantastic Four. Wow. So can you, I mean, just can you, There, that's one of those forks in the road that. Uh, but I wonder if he would have not ended up in this film. Yes, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. You know, it's I, I'm, I'm no armchair psychic, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, you know, but it's hard not to, to see that as a hard fork. Um, it, it would have been interesting, but uh, played yeah. out well here. Uh, no, I mean he's he's a a really great actor, and what a choice to bring somebody like him on board for for this film to kind of continue this story. I mean, obviously, the script was there before he was brought on, and I think that um, uh, it was really smart for uh, for Ryan Coogler and uh, and his writing partner um, Aaron Covington to develop this script with this you know illegitimate illegitimate child of uh, um, apollo creed and find a way to bring that into the fold of rocky and and michael b jordan brings the the anger and the uh just all of those emotions that that you get from this kind of 
theoretically unwanted kid. I mean, he's got this great line toward the end where he's just like, you know, he wanted to uh, make sure that he wasn't a mistake. And it was just, I mean, that really hit me. Mm -hmm. And just, just the way that he plays uh, this character and kind of the, the anger and the frustration and the kind of sometimes the cockiness and arrogance and, and everything just, it comes through so nice. And, and, and I, I mean, I just think Michael B. Jordan is really, a uh, has always been a compelling actor and brings so much to the table and so much emotion and uh and it and it's funny because he's he comes across in when you're not watching him in a film as just the nicest guy he's just like so authentic but then uh in films like this and black panther black like panther, right. when he's angry like he really comes across as this really <laughs> angry person <laughs> that you don't want to cross <laughs> You know, you know, there's a this film has a, ser- a number of really huge wins in my book. Um, back to the the script briefly, um, the one that sticks out for me that I think a lot of movies make this mistake, and it catches me every time. Uh, we have the conversation through the door, right? And he is talking to Bianca, and she's upset because he came to her place of work and threw a fit and got in a fight and got thrown in jail. And he is standing outside the door. And he's trying to apologize. Let me in. Let me in. Bianca. Yo, stop knocking on my door like the police. Can you at least let me apologize? No, it doesn't work like that. You apologize when you spill a drink on someone's shirt, but you assaulted the headliner to my show, a show I worked really hard to get. What if I came to your fight acting like an ass? Would that be cool with you? No, I didn't think so. How'd you do, though? You kill it? Yeah, we did good. You messed that up, and I gotta live with that, all right? But I never meant to let you down. Then what'd you mean to do, D? Just have a little ego contest? Rocky's sick. He's got cancer. I ain't trying to make excuses for anything that I did, but I found out before your show. How bad is it? Oh, they want him to start chemo, but you know he's too macho to do that. Jesus. Well, maybe you can talk some sense into him. I don't think you want to hear anything I got to say. Yeah, well... Give him my love, huh? Hey, Bianca, you just don't close me out right now. Look, we both got a lot going on right now, so I think you should focus on yours and I'm going to focus on mine. I'm sorry. Now, what I expected to happen, the, the script that was unfolding in my head when I saw this movie was he's going to say, uh, I'm really sorry, just let me in. You know, things are hard. I'm a fighter and not really get to the substantive issue of why he's dealing with grief. And she's going to let him in and there will probably be a sex scene and it'll be a makeup scene or maybe there won't and it won't matter. Um, either way, nothing will be really resolved and it will sound not human. And in this movie, he actually says the line to resolve that for me. And it was such a surprise. He says, Rocky's sick. And that is an, and he says, I, I'm not making excuses, but I had just found out before I came to your place uh, that he has cancer. And that's what happened. And that line 
it it can absolve so many sins in my book because uh, you know not that this movie is guilty of very many sins I think it's it's terrific work but it is just that's a sign of the caliber of this movie to me because they actually wrote some of these lines that m- my head is writing ahead of the actors as I'm watching it it's just so smart and so complete and so human and and just feels resolved even though they can still be pissed yeah yeah right and I, I think that is what makes a smart screenplay when you can have those moments that allow the characters to to process all of those emotions and get through it without necessarily feeling like it ha- has to uh, kind of resolve a relationship in the process. And so, I, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, it worked really nicely, really nice. Yeah, he's just so good. And and, you know. Uh, his portrayal is can go from super sensitive and vulnerable to uh, extreme violence and not feel uh, borrowed anywhere along the way. Like it just feels legitimate, uh, whatever he puts on screen. He's incredibly talented. Yeah, very much so. Let's talk about Stallone. I think when I heard they were doing Creed, I did not know that Stallone was involved like the first time i heard about it it was just like oh they're doing creed and it's going to be a spinoff from the rocky cinematic universe so the first trailer comes out and i see you know the reveal for stallone as he comes up the stairs and around the corner and you just see him from behind uh i i have to tell you i was blown away like i was a little choked up i don't know why i didn't assume that stallone would be completely behind this movie <laughs> that wouldn't yeah, right? be completely behind this movie, <laughs> uh, but I didn't. I didn't uh, know that that was the thing that he was doing, and so uh, it was it, it was great. And the movie uh, paid off in spades for me. I I had a, a great experience with Stallone. Would you think? Well, you I think said uh, you had that uh, quote from him earlier um, about how he really likes playing Rocky at this age. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just you know I, it, that to me comes through real crystal clear in this film because everything that i've grown to love about this character over the last six films i uh is it's just shining through here he's just he is uh just a sweet man he is caring but he's got this this strength and just everything um the fighting and everything uh it it i mean he works so well in this film it's it's brilliant seeing how he kind of interacts with this kid and becomes his trainer and helps him and everything all the stuff that Mick did for him and Apollo did for him uh it it, it and even duke i mean it it just all kind of comes through as as now he is the one on the other side training this kid it's so great and after i i got to say i mean i had seen this film before i knew what was coming it it was a strong film the first time but after watching six films following Rocky Balboa, holy cow, when he collapses, I just about lost it. Yeah. Like it it hits me. It hit me so much stronger because yeah. I was really that much more invested in this character. And um the scene when he collapses, the scene when he's talking to the doctor about not wanting to do chemo, and just the way he kind of ha- reacts to all of this with the doctor and then later with with Donnie. It's um, it hurts so much. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, Stallone showed that he knows this character. And and I mean, it was rock solid performance from beginning to end for me is so good in this film. And for me, I, I, it didn't seem like maudlin 
that they Never. would have a, a, a sequence about, you know, hey, if I'm going to fight, you're going to fight. Right? right. That exchange between these men was was earned for me. It didn't feel gimmicky. It didn't feel dumb. It just it felt uh, it felt authentic. And I think, it, 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 you know, that's on a fine line. <laughs> you know, oh. it could it could oh, come off yeah. as really stupid and i think they played it just right and i'm telling you that uh seeing stallone in treatment for cancer you know hooked up to the yeah. uh, probably chelation this chemotherapy like all of those things those scenes the way they weathered him the way they grade him yeah. um the way he looked in the ring with the hat on uh yep. it, it was it was horrifying it was it horrifying. Really was, yeah. It felt like a member of my own family was was really struggling, and yet he he absolutely came through it. I I think that that montage of him working uh, Creed in the hospital, making him run up and down stairs, making him do yeah. all the push ups. I used to do those one handed. I'm not just saying. I'm not you know I'm not telling you <laughs> anything. I'm just saying. It was those moments were just gems. They were just delightful. It showed me that uh, Ryan Coogler and uh, Aaron Covington knew these characters backward and forward they could take moments like the chickens from yeah. uh, rocky 2 and turn it into something that was a great nod to the the the, the previous films without feeling like it was um, just being cheeky or anything it never felt over the top and mm-hmm. it always had this this uh respect for everything that had preceded it and it, it i mean i i think it's just they they wrote a script that i'm really really impressed with and did you know did you did you note that uh rocky it was 69 when this movie came out same age as burgess meredith was uh or still still stallone was uh 69 same age as Mer- burgess meredith was when rocky was released wow that's kind of sweet that is really cool. Yeah. I wonder in like by the time we get to Creed Four or Creed Five, if we're gonna have Rocky's Force Ghost. I hope so. They should <laughs> so, all be standing. He's gonna join Apollo he and, on and the bridge. Apollo and Mickey will be up there. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Adrian yeah. and Polly. And Adrian and Polly. Oh <laughs> and Duke. <dear. laughs> Gotta get Duke, Duke yeah. in there. <laughs> wow, man, this is gonna be great. <laughs> you know, more people in the Force Ghost heaven. That's right. It's actually going to be directed by George Lucas. That's a turn. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, can we talk a little bit about montages? I know how much you like montages. The montage. Yes. Let's talk about montages. We have I, a couple of them in here, but they're to me, they're super subtle. Yeah. The montages are, are treated uh, very, uh, well, I, I don't know. I was going to say delicately. I, I don't think that's the right word. They're... Um, you you kind of are in them before you realize you're in them yeah and because and, and maybe it's because it's not like you know let's throw in a big pop song and and do this i mean you know there's there's some of the hip hop songs and stuff that they have in here that we we get through some of them but largely it's just you kind of you kind of do it and it just happens and then you're out of it and it never felt egregious it always was effective storytelling moving us forward um but yeah it always worked for me you know what I think they did really well with the montages in this case is we set up the story in the beginning that uh, and we have this great conversation between Rocky and and Creed where he says, you know, I'm I'm going to show up. I mean, every every punch I've learned to throw has been self-taught. Of course, I'm here to learn. Like I'm here to do this thing with you. 
And uh, and and that line stuck with me, the, the self-taught bit, because as he goes through these montages, we actually see a good deal of clumsiness on behalf of Michael B. Jordan in, in these early montages. The clumsiness that that isn't it, it's not that he's out of shape like we've gotten with the other Stallone montages in previous movies where he's not in great shape and he's, um, you know, and he's he's got to get in better shape to meet this particular foe we saw a little bit of this in apollo uh or in in rocky three where he had to like learn to dance you know that that jump rope kind of thing was was great this movie he's creed is learning to do everything he's learning to hit the pads he's learning to do the the speed bag he's like learning to do these core boxing skills that we never really had to see rocky learn to do and i thought that was that was a great kind of addition to this movie to actually show that there's a there is a level of um, apprenticeship going on that's not just about you know taking an exceptional boxer and making him great you know greater it's about taking a guy with a lot of super raw, raw material and actively shaping it. One thing that I wasn't quite clear on is we, we do see him going to Apollo's old gym back in uh, in L.A. where he had grown up talking to Take Duke's to son who's running Take it, it to the body. There you go. Make your time count, baby. You know what's coming up. There you go. Check out. What you doing here, man? 15 and no, 15 knockouts. In Tijuana? Nah, bro. That's a barroom brawler. Yeah, well, I'm all in anyway. So I figured we start out local just to get our momentum going, then we can move wherever we want to move. We? Yeah, I was figuring you mean. These boys come in here, this is how they survive. They got to fight for life. Kill or be killed, people die in there. Your daddy died in the ring. This ain't no joke. I don't know him. Ain't got nothing to do with me. Oh, okay. You real tough now. Yup. Nah, I ain't training you. You know I ain't training. Ain't nobody training you. I'm gonna make sure about that. We making champs in the Delphi gym. We not dancing. We not singing. We fighting. You struggle every day. You fall for something. You damn right. And I, I was trying to figure out was so was he ever training there as uh, as a boxer with Duke's son, but Duke's son kind of refused to ever let him do anything more, or or what? I, I guess that was one relationship that I, I felt like I never quite, or maybe I just forgot. Maybe it it just happened so quickly because it's just the one scene. It is just the one scene. I I don't have a clear answer on that. I my sense originally was that he he had some relation, some prior training relationship with Duke's son, but not. Uh, but I didn't. It wasn't clear to me whether he was he was actually boxing. But there was clearly some bad blood between the two. I mean, it it really that that scene amped quickly. Yeah, uh, and and went to that showdown that you know where he was just. You know. Well, it also was great in a way that it showed the young, cocky, arrogant, hot-headed yeah. mentality that Donnie yeah. had at the time. And yeah. and was just put down so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. It was terrific. And that was a fantastic fan. I mean, we'll talk about the camera work a little later, but yeah, wow, that follow shot when, when he is KO'd and the mm-hmm. camera... It's like it's almost like one of those uh, those rigs that uh, Maddie Libatique likes to use, like back in Requiem for a Dream, where the actor yeah. has a harness on and the camera. It's almost like that GoPro sort of look. Um, 
as he's KO'd, the camera just drops like to the mat with him so fast. It it was such a nice, uh, like quick, surprising shot. I loved it. Yeah, it's fantastic. I and and the man, the long shots in this movie. I mean, you talk about that follow shot, which was terrific. But this movie is anchored around some beautiful, beautiful, really long shots. It's funny because uh, I must have just gotten myself so wrapped into the film. I only remember one really long shot. Really? I was I was watching for them, but I guess I just I mean, and I guess that speaks to the success of the film in my head is as I like I knew they were there, but I only saw the one. That's funny. I feel like we should do a supercut of fun, long shots in this because there's the there's well, there's the one and the final fight. Uh, there's the entire open. Yeah. When he comes out, he comes out and into the, uh, into the ring like that, that whole thing is a long shot. Okay. And that's the whole conversation. Rocky's telling him, um, you know, sometimes I get nervous, you know, that's him. Okay. They they do the whole long walk. The entire opening shot is a long shot into the ring and it, and, and the first, Oh, not, not, not the opening opening. It's after. His childhood. Right after his childhood. Well, actually, yeah. that, that first fight is a long shot. The, absolutely. Uh, I'm bringing it up to see just how long that is. The, well, the first fight with, with Stuntman is... No, no, no. I'm talking the about the kids, the kids fight. The kids in juvie. Oh, the whole juvie scene. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. I think that's a whole single And it's take. great. It, yeah. yeah. And so there's, there, are, there are a number of them. And, you know, they, they make kind of a big deal about how... Um, uh, you know, Maurice Alberti loves to use these shots because they, you know, demonstrate movement without relying on fast cutting. Yeah, she says, yeah, well, that's exactly what she says. Yeah. Oh, it is. Well, is I just heard need... that in I heard that in a video you sent me. So I assume you're going to yes. quote it. She says, you don't need to rely on movie editing to dictate motion when it's well done, when it's not virtuosity, when it's not too self-aware, it's powerful. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the one that impressed me to no end is the fight with stuntman somewhat it's like the end of act one pretty much yeah um yeah. that was just uh, i mean that I, I mean, the other ones are great you're following somebody through something but to see an actual boxing match where you're basically in the ring dancing around with these two characters as they're trading blows going to their corners whatever it's it, it was a marvelous feat to accomplish that i was just uh, you know really impressed with what maurice did here Right, right. It's beautiful. And and there's a lot of that. When you think about like the the aesthetics of the fight, how do you characterize the differences between the fight in the fights, the there are four sort of sequence major fight sequences in this movie? How do you characterize those as they have evolved from the Rocky part of the of the Rocky series? Well, that's one of them is is that sense of almost like a documentary presence at least in that one the the final fight something that really struck out stuck out for me was how it really kind of shows a lot of the the bloodiness of it and just the the spit and just everything and just like i was like Ugh, this is a really uh really gross yeah. fight <laughs> just watching all of that uh all of that stuff just the the vaseline rubbing on the on the wounds and and as they as they kind of are prepping you know the 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 cut man would pull the Vaseline out and just put a big glob on his hand, getting ready and just seeing all of that stuff. It was just really interesting details that we were catching that uh, stood out for me as a really interesting element that uh, 
I, I, I feel like we hadn't seen portrayed quite, quite that way before. I, I don't know if it's a function of just the fidelity that we get in the, the film, right? That it's, you know, how, I, I don't know. She shot, I'm assuming, digitally and. Yeah, uh, I think it was a, it's an Ari Alexa. Alexa. Yeah. And uh, it, it's, it's so beautiful and so crisp. And, you know, they used fight lighting for the big fights. Uh, these, these fights struck me weirdly. Even though I know, like I know cognitively, my brain is aware of the fact that this was shot steady cam in the ring, but it's so crisp and so clear, and the movement is so crisp and clear in the, on part of these performers that it just looks at times super motion control, and like they could just go and like these are robots, they're just punching super hard, and uh, everything is so clear. It might like like how did they how did they make it look? so real it's almost artificial again yeah it's sort of the uncanny valley of fight scenes <laughs> it's well yeah I, I mean i i but i think that speaks to one of the reasons that kugler brought on maurice uh as the dp because she does have this documentary uh sensibility the way that she kind of approaches things the long shots the the look of the film the grittiness that all of it um lends itself to exactly what he's going for in creating a a look to the films that feels uh very authentic an, an interesting element that kugler did integrate into this that i initially was like eh, i'm not so sure i like that is the on-screen stats that we would get for the various um boxers as they would come interesting. up interesting it's something that I had seen in uh, a number of other films before where you kind of, you know, you freeze frame, bring up stats as to who this person is and, and you know, their, their uh, wins and losses and all their uh, information. It feels very much something pulled out of the world of sports because of the, you know, the, the, the introductions to players as they're coming on the field or whatever it is, just to give a little more background. Um, it definitely feels like something I've seen uh, a good number of times in other films. And so to see it here when it started popping up, it felt really, especially this viewing, um, it felt very much outside of the realm of the world of Rocky that I had seen up to this point. It's not anything like we've had in the films before. And so I was like, is that something I really want in here? In the end, I got used to it. I thought it was uh, something that it was a tool to help us as outsiders get a sense of the strength of these various opponents that he'd be mm -hmm. going up against. So I definitely appreciated that stuff. I still was torn if it was something that fit in with this world. But I guess in the end, it didn't. I, I, I found myself OK with it. I don't know. What did, did you, were you OK with them? I was totally okay with it. And in fact, I felt like it was it, it was training wheels for me because I don't I'm not engaged in, in the sport outside of Rocky movies. Uh, uh -huh. I have like very little interest in, in watching actual boxing, uh, seeing those up, up there and like being able to kind of truck with the lingo a little bit um, and understand how the stats work and seeing them on screen. I just it really helped. It was the, um, you know, sort of the Adam McKay approach to to boxing. But I mean, do you feel like. I mean, you made it through all the other films without that. And that's, you know, I did, that's why yeah. I, was, I felt like it wasn't really a part of this world. And so all of a sudden to have that, I, that's one thing for me. I felt like it was Coogler 
putting something in there just to, I, I was like, is he trying to like kick it up a notch? Is he trying to do something different? Is he trying to put his stamp on it? And it just, to me, it, it felt like a little unsure, weirdly. Like, I, Kugler didn't need it. He could have been fine without it. It has worked fine without so far. Uh, so yeah. it just felt like something that he was throwing in there just to try to make his stamp. And I was just like, I don't know if we needed it. Yeah, I can. I, I absolutely see that. But I also I think all of your points are probably probably play in there. Yeah, it was probably him putting a stamp on it. It was probably him. Maybe he was feeling a little insecure about people understanding the leveling up, you know, the, that uh, uh, Creed was going through with each successive fight. Maybe it was uh, whatever the reason was. Every time I saw it on screen, it, it helped me to judge, uh, you know, the the relative uh uh, sort of credibility of the next sequ- successive opponent, uh, and I liked that. It, it interestingly, it, it wasn't used, almost wasn't used enough to feel like he committed to it. That, if if anything, that was my my problem. Like I feel like I could have used more of that a little bit. You know, more play with with on screen stats to demonstrate. You know, uh, this stuff. Either do do a little bit more of it, or or don't do it at all. Uh, but for me, I liked it. I guess, you know, the last point I have is, is it, you know, maybe for me as a, a boxing outsider, there's just so much information on there and I'm frantically trying to look through it. Like what, what's important? What, <laughs> what do I, what do I need to really understand who this guy is? Because it's like, yeah. by the time I get to the next one, it's like, I don't remember what the last guy had. So, it, yeah. it, you know. Yeah. All I was looking at was the three numbers. And as soon as I saw the three numbers, if there were, if it was a number and then the wins by knockout or whatever, the last sure, one was. Sure, sure. those yeah. were the important ones how about the shorts mom sends him the the sends him the uh, american flag trunks was that was that a bridge too far for you no actually i loved it and i loved that they actually had creed on one side and johnson on the other i thought that was a great touch coming from his mom and it warmed my heart to no end to see Aww. to see those in there Though yeah. the only thing that bugs me about that scene, and it's such a petty thing, but the note that is included with it, where it says, you know, find your own or build your own legacy, ma. Yeah. Something about the way it was written. <laughs> I just, I don't buy that Felicia Rashad <laughs> wrote that. It's like, you know, the production designer, you know, gives the job to some uh, art intern to just come up with the note. And yeah. I'm just like, oh, that just curly never, heart. It the curly heart authentic. <laughs> no, it does not truck with the Felicia Rashad that we just uh, met in the beginning of the movie. Totally not agree. At all. It's frustrating, but yeah. uh, but still, I love the touch. It is a nice touch. Uh, we should note this is the first film uh, in the series that is not written by Stallone, written by uh, co-written by Ryan Coogler and Aaron Covington. Yes, uh, yeah. I don't know how much we need to belabor the the writing, well, other than uh, and and I mean, I will say Stallone did yeah. come on board to do some writing, right? Yeah. So, I mean, at least he didn't get credited, but I think it's one of those things where you bring him on because he knows these characters so well and he yeah, helps kind of right. clean some Shape of that it. sort of stuff up. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So to that end, I I, I think that uh, it works quite well. The steps, I love seeing the two of them on the steps. And I love that it's now a real struggle for yeah. Stallone, for Balboa to get up the steps. And the way that that played out was really heartwarming watching these guys get up there. It was great. 
And the final um, shot. The final shot was such a, it could have been, again, a cheap nod to the, the first, but I watching them sort of subdued, staring over the city, that yeah. the statue isn't there, right. uh, and that they just get to talk about just sort of the love of these steps and what they mean to them as people. I think that's, I think that was a really powerful moment. Yeah. And then the other thing I was going to say, which ties into the steps, is we don't we don't have that big finale in the training here. The big finale here is him running down the street and all the motocross guys like spinning around him and stuff. And I'm like, it's <laughs> okay. This is a really interesting like big moment that we have. I don't know. I was like, well, you got the stairs in the first one, the kids in the second one, the beach in the third, the mountain in the fourth. Some pretty iconic moments in there. And I'm like, does this is was that enough for me? I. I guess it kind of was, but I do kind of feel like I missed that big, like, climb to something to, you know, be... Well, uh, because there were no mountains to climb and scream from the top of? Yeah, or, like, I... Yeah, and I, I think they were trying to avoid the stairs. I think they were yeah. saving it for that last moment, but... They needed it at the end. But, I, you know, I'll tell you why I like that moment, uh, is that it actually ties in Rocky's story, too, right? That this is actually as much of Creed running down the street and demonstrating that he's sort of ready. He can, I don't know, beat motorcycles on foot. Um, but when he gets there and you sort of start looking at what he's saying, he's screaming, you go rock. And he's Rocky's out the window and he's looking at him and it, it feels like as much of uh, you know, Adonis in doing the run for Rocky who can't run anymore. And and for yeah. me, it, it tied all of those pieces together. Uh, I, I think there, there are a couple of shots as like wide shots that are of, uh, you know, Adonis moving around in the circle and the streets that just look a little weird. I like it when the camera was moving kind of in the circle and it kept showing us the perspective from the street looking up at Rocky with with, uh, you know, Michael B. Jordan's head in the in the frame screaming. I loved that. I love the way they use sound in it that we don't actually hear what he's saying. I think that was really effective. But I, I'm with you. There is something lost not having the momentous climax. But I did. I felt like this this was going for a different message. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I think that largely that all makes sense. And they were trying to make their own stamp with the 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 whole structure of the film. Mm -hmm. And I think that they had to give us something different. And yeah. I, I think it still does work, you know, the way that the motocross guys kind of all kind of race around with him. It was it was a fun way to kind of still amp it up a little bit. And I should add, I, I got a quote here from Maurice Alberti on these shots, right? These big tracking shots, the rotating shots, uh, the long Steadicam shots. And he's speaking specifically about the the two round boxing match that was all captured in a single Steadicam shot in which no post-production stitching was used. Everybody thinks we're cheating, but that is one shot. Yeah. Alberti said in Variety. So a scene was filmed with an Ari Alexa by Steadicam operator Benjamin Semenoff. Director Ryan Coogler shot 13 takes of the sequence, with the 11th take being the one used in the final film, according to Variety. That's a it's that's amazing, and yeah. and I feel like I didn't say that enough. Like no post production <laughs> stitching. As I'm trying to, as I'm saying, it looks CG and it looks motion controlled. It was all Steadicam and and motion. I'm one of those people that she's talking about here. Right, right, right. Uh, it was beautiful. It was. Works really nicely. We got the big ones, right? We've got Michael B. Jordan. We've got Stallone. Yep. We've got Tessa Thompson. We've got Felicia Rashad. We've got a bunch of great boxers. I think Tony Ballou, uh, or Bellu, I don't know how you say his last yeah. name, as Pretty Boy, um, uh, Pretty Ricky Conlon, is a great antagonist. I know we've struggled with some of our antagonists in the last couple films. I thought he was fantastic, and he is a real boxer. 
I just I really enjoyed his his uh, just the cocky British swagger that he had. I mean, he was just great. He's perfect. And yeah, and and uh, holy cow, I, we do have to bring up that actual punch that that he delivers to Michael B. Jordan as they were kind of um, uh, rehearsing and stuff. And you, I mean that that shot. I mean it was it went around forever. The shot of Michael B. Jordan kind of as they were re- rehearsing and trying to gear up for it. And you know, just seeing him turn into this punch, and as he hits, as 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 uh, Tony hits him, Michael B. Jordan just drops, drops yeah. to the floor. That the last time we talked, I mean, I know we've talked about it briefly in the context of this series, but we talked about when this trailer or when the movie came out. Maybe yeah, uh, it, pro- it, it was maybe, years yeah. ago uh, that we actually talked about the trailer, and I found a um, uh, the the clip from the Graham Norton show yeah, where. Been- watching Mike, a loop of it <laughs> right where michael b jordan tells a story about how they did this one and they had the camera set up in slow motion but tony's glove was in the way so they didn't actually get the shot and had to do it a second time so what we see was was actually one they were tried I, I did not get the impression that this was a setup i got the impression that this is one that wasn't practice it was one they were trying to do for the movie but his glove was in the way and they didn't actually see the contact uh and that makes it i think worse because the when i first heard the story i just heard the story as of as like uh you you got to join the club you know you got to be in the club everybody oh, takes right. a shot uh of stallone saying everybody takes a real punch uh, and he says oh if you can do it i can do it and then he had to actually do it twice get knocked Ugh. out twice that's <laughs> amazing oh just crazy yes yeah, i i mean you're getting paid a lot of money i guess but god just the idea of <laughs> putting myself in 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 front of uh you know his glove <laughs> just just do that <laughs> i struggle i struggle with uh, that totally oh god it's just uh, we're made of different <laughs> stuff let's just say that we're made of different stuff yeah uh graham mctavish one of our uh hobbits <laughs> yeah uh, or sorry one of our dwarves from the dwarves, Hobbit films. right he, he pops in as the as the manager for uh conlin and uh, it's not a big part but i just i love seeing him and stuff he's just got such a great hard look well and i loved seeing it uh seeing him in this because it was just in uh 2008 he was in rambo with uh with stallone yeah right uh, which i thought was it was fun very uh, much so i did uh, well i did not even know this andy you until i looked at the notes and you had written that leave schreiber was doing the voiceover announcement for hbo 24 7 in the film and wondered if he was actually doing that for the show i didn't even catch that that was leave schreiber at all honestly i did I not didn't either i just saw his <laughs> name in the credits i'm like why is leave schreiber what in this is he film? doing there <laughs> right so uh i i started searching that was a rat hole that i went down and probably didn't need to but i did and it turns out absolutely that was um that was leave schreiber and he was doing that legit for hbo sports leaf says uh, i actually got discovered by hbo sports and that was an incredible training ground for me they basically gave me my start former hbo sports president ross greenberg hold me heard me on rock and roll and brought me in to hbo and he had been had been doing that and so this was uh, having his voice on there was par for the course that's so funny so funny I mean, I guess that's like having if you're if you have CNN on the background, you want to have James Earl Jones. Yes, this is CNN. This is CNN. Yeah. Right. Oh. Uh, so oh, yeah, okay. I thought that was really funny. He's just not a name that I associate with extensive voiceover work, Lee Schreiber. And it turns out he has. Well, let me just say the headline of this New York Post article, the interview with him, is called 
Leif Schreiber's booming second career voiceover artist. And it's a full feature only on his stuff, his voiceover work, like documentary, like extensive voiceover work. Well, the, um, you know, I worked on the, uh, the, uh, the documentary about Manson last year, Manson, right. the lost tapes or whatever it's called. And he did the voiceover for that. So it is very true. <laughs> no kidding. That's too funny. Last, uh, last person I wanted to mention in the, in the cast, Anthony Martins pops up as welterweight number two <laughs> and an assistant stunt coordinator. Uh, in the credits, he's credited as utility stunts. And I had to bring him up, Pete, because this crazy Marvel movie minute that we're doing, I have, uh, I've, I've had uh, a lot of time to dig into people's uh, backgrounds and Anthony, Anthony Martins pops up in Iron Man as the, uh, as the father in, in the town of Gulmira where uh, he is the one who is separated from his son and almost killed before Iron Man comes in and saves the day. And I just loved, I was like, Anthony Martins, I know who he is. (laughs) Here he is. He's in this. Now, what minutes were those? Those were in the forties, right? I don't know if I could tell you off the top of my head. No, it's not in the forties. I want to say it's in the fifties. It's when uh, he sees on the news what's happening in yeah. Bulmira, and he goes back. And no, it was probably seventy eight, seventy nine. I think that that yes. was uh, yeah, that was seven, it. Yeah, right. Yep. yep, yep, yeah. Those were the days. So, yep, <laughs> those were the days. <laughs> we should mention uh, Hannah Beachler did the production design of this film. Um, she did a, a great job. That I think what's important to note is that uh, she just won an Oscar the the night before um, uh, we recorded this episode uh, for her work that she did on Black Panther. Obviously, she now has a uh, a working relationship with um, with uh, Coogler, Coogler, and yeah. uh, has, I mean she's been working with him since Fruitvale Station, and uh, is just doing some good stuff. And this is her next big thing. She's working on something with Todd Haynes right now. But I, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's great to see, uh, her doing some great work here and, uh, yeah, it's, it's solid stuff. Well, I just have to, I just have to ask you, Andy, how you feel about, uh, Ludwig Goransson, uh, who is, uh, in charge of the music for this film. And, uh, he is the third, uh, to be brought into the franchise. Did he live up to Bill Conti? He, uh, I, I think that Ludwig is doing some great stuff right now in his uh, partnerships with, with Kugler. The stuff that he does here feels very much a part of the world. I don't think he's written anything that's as iconic as what Bill Conti did in, uh, in the first film. Um, but again, Bill Conti didn't do anything else in any of the other films that he composed because he just reused his music, basically. I think that... <laughs> Uh, Ludwig does an amazing job, though, of creating something that feels very much a part of the world. And he, he'll bring in a couple themes, uh, of, you know, a time or two. But for the most part, he creates something that feels very much like something that Bill Conti very likely could have done in uh, in those other films. It's it works so nicely in context of the film. Well, and we do get the first few bars of going to fly now in the, you know, near the end of the big oh. The yeah. big climax, and what tell me you didn't choke up in that moment. Totally. I thought that was stunning. Totally, that yeah. was a great moment. Yeah, I think he did great. You want to talk about the song? So there's a lot of songs. This is just something I was listening to a podcast uh, called uh, Musical Notation that that does um, music music in films, and uh, he was talking about the the Oscar nominated songs from the year, and I just wanted to um, perform this little test with you uh, because oh, no. 
it, it's not really a test. Okay. Uh, it's more of a quiz, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, in uh, in 2008, the songs that were nominated for um for best um original song were uh Writings on the Wall from Spectre, Earned yeah. It from 50 Shades of Grey, Manta Ray from Racing Extinction, Till It Happens to You from The Hunting Ground, and Simple Song Number 3 from Youth. Of those songs, uh, which ones stand out? Well, I, okay, I'm... The writing's on the wall, just, yeah, I will, yeah. I didn't say, that's the one that won, the, the Spectre Well, I, I remember, I actually remember the controversy around that one, and... Um, I'm a big Sam Smith fan and I think people like there was so much controversy around that. And I felt like I was on an Island saying that that was a song I wanted to win. I love that song. And I, I think it's great. It's the one I remember and it's the one I still play regularly around the house. Well, it's James Bond. It's a, you know, I I think Adele's song deserved to win. I don't think that song deserved to win because I don't know if you remember it all, but till it happens to you, the song that, uh, um, that was nominated um lady gaga sang it at the awards mm-hmm. uh from the film the hunting ground and it's a song about it's it's a documentary about um rape crimes on college campuses and yeah. how the schools cover them up and it's a the song was like one of those songs that just practically brings you to tears it was a really powerful song totally should have won that for me after hearing it i'm like that's the song that should have won I don't um, remember it at all. I need to play it. I'm, oh, maybe I will play it. I will absolutely change yeah. gears. But I, yeah, no, I'm the Fifty Shades of Grey song. It's fine, but yeah. Manta Ray and Simple Song Number Three, neither of them are memorable in any way. Like I couldn't even, I couldn't even hum a bar of either of them. They're not yeah. great songs. The song "The Fire" from this film, I think, is a hundred percent uh just oscar worthy it's a great song it it fits so thematically with it uh that's something that the podcast uh like that i mentioned musical notation they brought that up um they also mentioned the other song that um uh uh that i very likely uh should have been nominated and wasn't um was um oh gosh dang it what's the name of the movie Fast and Furious uh, 7? What was that one called? I think it was just Furious 7. Because it's Fate of the 8. Yeah, Furious 7. That was the, yeah, that was the one. That's the one where uh, Paul Walker died after, yes. after the making of. And uh, it, was a, uh, it was a very powerful um, end song in the film, See You Again. Oh, I totally know this song. That was uh, Wiz Khalifa. Yes. Yeah. Yes. See You Again and The Fire should totally have been nominated. And then it would have been a an actual competition because they yeah. would have had some some top-notch songs in there to uh to um to play with. But as yeah. it was, um the fire wasn't. But anyway, I'm going off on a tangent, but I did just want to I my whole point was great song. It totally deserved uh, a nomination because it was a great song. I well, I need to go listen to it. I don't I just watched the movie again today and I don't remember the song. So uh, that's check it out uh, when we're done. It's it's the roots featuring John legend. Yep. I've already got it queued up. All right. So our last little uh, uh, note, uh, uh, we have a somber note. It turns out that Sage Stallone uh, actually died when this film was going into pre-production. 
And uh, Stallone was adamant that he didn't want to be a part of it. And in, in fact, he's, you know, his interviews of the time uh, of the time, um, you know, he talks about how he was very near, you know, complete breakdown, like he was just a, a broken person. It was actually Kugler who uh, convinced him over and over again, please, we're going to use this film. You know, you've got to use this film to honor Sage. We're going to use this film to honor your relationship with him. And and uh, he says he wanted to use it as a dedication to, you know, these the, the relationship and, and the father son relationships that appear um, throughout this film. And I think it uh, I think it captures it well. Again, we've we've you know talked about this with the, the on-screen relationships not being maudlin in, in ways that could have gone overboard. And I, I think Stallone's portrayal, um, you know, of the father figure was, was a perfect way to honor his son. And we get that, that nice little nod of Stallone and his young son uh, on the, the uh, dresser in, in Polly's bedroom in his house. Yes, yes. Uh, I thought that was a really nice touch. Very nice. Yeah, I agree. That's a, that is a sad note. Yeah. Uh, but I would imagine that one of the reasons the performance is so strong here is because he brought a lot of that pain and and hurt into yeah. the making of it, and uh, and it shows in the way that Truly. he is dealing with his his hard issues and and his losses in his life. All right, Andy, tell us how it did at award season. This was a popular one. Forty six wins, sixty three other nominations at the Oscars. Uh, Stallone was nominated again for Best Supporting Actor. He did lose to Mark Rylance uh, for Bridge of Spies, but because of his nomination, he became the sixth actor to be nominated twice for an Oscar for portraying the same character. Um, obviously, the first time was Rocky Balboa in nineteen seventy six. The others were Bing Crosby, uh, Peter O'Toole, Al Pacino, Paul Newman, and Kate Blanchett. So that's a wow. uh, yeah, good company that he keeps with his uh, little uh, yeah. different uh, different things that he's gotten these uh, kind of Oscar stats for. Yeah. Um, I'm going to skip a lot of these because there's tons, um, but I will just say in the end, uh, Michael B. Jordan ended up winning four awards. Ryan Coogler won four awards. Tessa Thompson won one. Felicia Rashad won one. And Stallone won ten. Wow. Yeah. Wow. A lot of people loved seeing him come back for this role. It's great. It's just great. Andy, how did it do at the box office? Uh, Kugler got to work with a budget of $37 million, but with marketing, that number went up to $40 million. It's a really recent movie, so it's not a huge change in today's dollars, landing at $40.8 million. Creed was a Thanksgiving release, hitting theaters around the world November 25th, 2015, the 40th anniversary of the date of the opening scene in Rocky, interestingly enough. It opened opposite The Good Dinosaur and Victor Frankenstein. It did open in the number three slot, unable to push past Pixar or Hunger Games' The Mockingjay Part 2, which was just in its second week of release. Sadly, with the glut of holiday releases, it never got higher than that. But still, the movie did go on to make $109.8 million domestically and $63.8 million internationally, earning a grand total of $177 million adjusted. That gives the film an adjusted profit per finished minute of just over a million dollars. All told, it's a great landing place for this rebirth of the franchise. Outstanding. Uh, yeah. we're, we're moving in the right direction, Andy. This has been a good conversation. It's got strong awards. The numbers worked out. I think it's time for us to rank it. And, uh, and and let's see how it ends up between the two of us. If it builds our relationship or tears it down. Or destroys it. <laughs> <laughs> let's rank it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all the movies we have ever ranked 
on this show, you can uh, swipe over in your show notes, click on Flick Chart, and it'll take you straight to this movie where you can add it to your list and see how it stacks up to ours. First up, Creed or Romeo and Juliet. Totally Creed. Creed. Creed or Raise the Red Lantern. Uh, Creed for me. Creed, yeah. Creed or Rocky, Pete. Rocky. Creed. <laughs> That's a tough one. Uh, I'm I'm legitimately pretty torn on this one, but uh, I am going to say Creed. Okay, let's go to the ring. Ooh, as long as you're not going to uh, KO me like uh, Tony did to Michael. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, one, one two, two, three. three. Scissors. I this this really piqued my curiosity, Pete, because last or at the very beginning of this, you uh, you said that you loved Rocky, but it's not your favorite in the franchise. And now you just picked Rocky over Creed. So that tells me there's only one other movie. No, left. no, no. I, no. And, and is that what I said? Yeah. You, I thought I said, said that there was that it was Rocky, Two. that there was a there was something in there. Because I, I honestly, I look at my chart. <laughs> Where are you on this whole thing? Are you ready? Are you done? Oh uh, yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, okay. I thought yeah. Okay, we should just finish. Okay, Creed or Children of Men? Children of Men for me. Okay, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter to me because now we're in the right zone. Okay, so Creed or Snowpiercer? <laughs> Snowpiercer for me. Uh, I'll give you Snowpiercer. I enjoy that film. Creed or Close Encounters of the Third Kind? I'll Close even give Encounters. you this. Yeah. Creed or Up in the Air? Up in the Air for me. Uh, yeah, Up in the Air. Okay. Creed or Star Trek Two? Oof. Star Trek Two. Yeah, Star Trek Two. Creed or Scott Pilgrim? Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. Well, that lands Creed at 49 on our chart. 49 out of 393, one spot above Rocky. Just one. <laughs> Okay, this is really funny. What does it do on your chart? Like, where did it end up on yours? My personal chart, it landed at 252 out of 4104. Okay. So pretty That's high. pretty high. Yeah. So what does that what does that mean? I don't, I'm not prepared for that. You don't even know. On. All right. Well, mine, I know we have this, uh, I've been, you know, I've been re-ranking as we go along. You knew that, right? I've been re-ranking the, the, yes. the entire Rocky thing. And I've been trying to do this legitimately. And I'm surprised. Uh, at a few things. I am most surprised today as I re-ranked Creed, thinking I knew exactly where it was going to end up. Uh, and uh, as it turns out, uh, it, it didn't end up exactly there. It ended up one spot below Rocky. <laughs> so now my it's, it's Rocky Creed, Rocky 2, Rocky Balboa. That's my top four of the entire series. So, so you were you lied to me. <laughs> so I don't know what to do about that because I know there was this controversy early on, but I don't want to say that it was a lie. Then, back then, it was truth. Back then, that's how things <laughs> shook out, <laughs> and now uh, it it didn't shake out that way. And I don't know what to say about that. All like I apologize if I led you on, but still it got is Creed two to re rank. <laughs> it, <laughs> you never you never know what's going to happen with Creed two. That's right. Um, right now, well, I don't want to tell you. I've just told you my top four, and Creed Two isn't in it. So, no, oh, I didn't think we were talking about ones we haven't discussed yet. Ah, uh, you know, I just broke a rule. I guess yeah. you did. Now, now I know way too much. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Right. Watch it again. All right. All right. 
if I if I were to go by the algorithm, it should be uh, it, it comes out at a 94 out of 100. This should be four and a half stars. Um, mm, that feels like where it needs to be. Although I, it hurts me because, you know, we had a, a conversation that didn't really pick out any quibbles. Do we have any I had quibbles? A few, I, I had a few quibbles, personally, right. just like the on-screen stats and stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, you but, had a problem with that. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but on the whole, I think that this film largely is such a success, and it was invigorating to, to kind of have this happen so late in this franchise, to hit the, the seventh film and find something that just felt fresh, original, uh, vibrant. It just breathed life into this franchise. It's not like the franchise was hurting either. Rocky Balboa, I really enjoyed too. Yeah. Um, but Creed just gave it a spin that um, that I really appreciated. And so I am also at a four and a half and a like. All right. Good That's stuff. Good. That feels good. Oh, this is good, Andy. We're more more wins than losses. I- I, I'll, on this I'll save that for next week. I'm gonna I'm gonna save. I was gonna say something, but I'm saving for next week. You're not even gonna tease me with it. No, not. You have not a grand teasing. opinion. This is a grand hot take right. from Andy yeah. Nelson. And we're not gonna All get right. it till the the franchise is over. Oh, for crying out! <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, so that that I, I guess does uh, tell us where we go from here. Yeah, we we're ending this next week with Creed Two. Put a fork in it. It in the that, end. That's it. Yes. Uh, all right. Great two. Eight yep. long weeks. Well, if you want to, if you want to hear more of us, but you can't wait until next week's show, check out our new show, The Marvel Movie Minute. We're talking about the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time, and we've started with 2008's Iron Man. You can support that show and all of our shows over on Patreon.com/slash/TheNextReel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. The kids have spoken, Andy. Oh, those wonderful kids. Oh, the kids at commonsensemedia.org. Uh, they actually like, uh, let's just say they have watched Creed more than they have watched some of the older or some of the more recent <laughs> Rocky movies. That has made it easier, I think, for us Indeed. Uh, in, in our work. True. Uh, I, I think I will uh, go first this week. If Take you it don't away. Object. All right. Uh, this one comes from uh, a 13-year-old teen who gives this a four-star review. It was good, but it got a little off track. Or It was good, but it got off track a little. Some parts were really scattered all over the place. Like, in the beginning, they should have started with the boy's mom and not a fighting scene in a jail. It made everything kind of hush. I don't think that Bianca was needed much, but she was important in the end. I really did like the whole storyline, though, and I really did like it. <laughs> I like how you kind of swung into Valley Girl by the I end. I did there. a little bit. Don't you think it was? Don't you think that added to the part? I mean, I don't want to feel I, like yeah. I took it too far. I didn't come off the rails at all. I don't it know. It was great. It was great. <laughs> what would you end up with? I've got a kid 10, 10 year old kid who says it's for ages 11 and up, but uh, this kid was okay watching it. <laughs> Gave it four stars and said simply, there is much violence, but it is okay with me. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so you went a little Steve Martin. You're that's a wild, uh, that crazy what, guy right there. Is what I guess happened. that was. Yeah. Yeah. Nice yeah, job. Oh, hopefully, like hopefully, Kid Ten is okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, kids. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022. We switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Mm-hmm.